It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Fersner, and today I am joined by some very special guests from Batesburg Leesville Middle School. Today we are joined by Margaret Ellis and Kim Lawson. Welcome, ladies. I'm so glad you guys could be here today. I'm going to start off by allowing you all to introduce yourself to our audience, um, tell them about what you do, and then we'll jump into the conversation. So I'm Maggie Ellis. I am one of our two digital learning coaches in our district, and I am housed at the middle school. So I have some interaction with our other schools, but most of my day-to-day involves being here at the middle school. And my name is Kimberly Lawson. I am a seventh grade English teacher here at the middle school. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for being here once again. Um, Let's start the conversation off with you all telling me a little bit about your journey with personalized competency-based learning. Kim, we can start with you. Sure. When it all first began, I was actually just told that I was going to a PD with the State Department, and I didn't really quite know what I was going to do while I was there. And um, that's when I was first introduced to this idea of personalized learning. But then when Robin and Brenda came on board with KnowledgeWorks, um, I really started learning about personalized learning. And there were at that time, there were like three different components. It was like student data, classroom environment, and then um, tracking data and choice boards. That was huge as well. And so at first, I was really excited about the flexible learning environment. So I was writing grants. I was thrifting furniture. I was bringing stuff from home. And then before the end of that year was over, a lot of my furniture that I had either bought or had um, had been purchased for me was like destroyed. And so I learned very quickly by the end of that year that um, flexible learning environments was not going to be feasible for me. And then I next jumped into like the choice boards. And it's interesting because now, like three, four years later, Robin and Brenda were like, we had you guys doing choice boards and you guys jumped right in, but that wasn't necessarily personalized learning. And even now, like where I'm sitting, like being in really involved with personalized learning, I'm learning that like what I thought even at the beginning of this year is not like my, what I'm learning as I'm doing it with my students, it's evolving. Like it's just evolving more than I can even um, anticipate like just my learning and my growth and just learning like what it really is and how do I actually make it personalized for my students. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Just overall like transition in thought process and in learning um, because it's interesting that um, and, and I think folks from our office will say too that um, what we knew personalized learning to look like and be like in one season um, can shift and change as we learn more and um, and jump into more things. So thank you for sharing that, Kim. What about you, Maggie? My journey really began, um, I was a classroom teacher when our district started introducing all of this stuff. So I was able to try a little bit out. Um, and for me, what worked in one class, because I was a high school teacher and teaching different content um, throughout the day. So what I found as an entry point in one class wasn't the entry point in the other class. Um, so I think it was very helpful to have been in the classroom and be able to try and get my feet wet a little bit with this direction of personalized learning. 
and then stepping out of the classroom. That's helped kind of my perspective. Um, I have to remind myself of that at times and think back to what it was and how it is a scaffolding process that it's got to do this step and you've got to build this before you can build that. And what it looks like in one class doesn't mean it looks the same in all classes. And then moving into this role, and now I get to um, support teachers like Kim, and I know she loves when she sees me coming, because <laughs> I always have some idea or something um, up my sleeve most of the time. But uh, just to try and be here and to support the teachers, and um, at the same time, be that push. There's seasons where things get a little hard, and um, kind of that person that comes behind and says, yeah, you've got this, or that's my intention. Yeah, no, Maggie's been great because, you know, since there's really nobody else to talk about it with, like Rhonda, who teaches math across the hall, she's also involved in personalized learning. And um, she was the, my go-to person initially, but math and personalized learning looks completely different than English, ELA. And so really Maggie's just been like my new go-to person. Like, what do you think about this? Um just the person that I can kind of talk and flesh through ideas with. So no, she's been phenomenal and a great support system for me. So I appreciate that. That is awesome. And so good to hear. It sounds like you guys at your school and I believe in your district, you're building up that culture of learning and that culture of not being afraid to try new things and not being afraid of making mistakes and having new realizations, which is definitely key to this work. So that kind of leads me to my next question. I've heard that you guys have been engaged in the work of learning progressions. So what was it about the culture of your school and district that made learning progressions seem like a good next step for you guys? From the district perspective, building those was always on our radar and kind of honing in because our standards are so overwhelming and there's so many things that we really wanted to have some intentional conversations about the standards and which ones were priority. And we're still going to teach these. We're not saying we're not teaching any of the standards, but we're going to focus on this and these other pieces are going to come. And so that was on the horizon. And we had been building up and allowing teachers to kind of explore what entry point they felt was right for them. And as we move forward, math and ELA are a huge focus area. So we decided to kind of jump in with those. And then COVID created some space for us when we were home to have some virtual meetings and some guidance from KnowledgeWorks to create those learning continuums and that progression work and those pre-assessments. And it wasn't all done at one time, but it got those conversations started. And we were able to bring system-wide our teachers together to have vertical conversations that hasn't always been so easy to do. Um, the virtual platform kind of gave a space to do that and have those conversations. And being in COVID, we saw an even bigger need that we're limited on time to begin with. And we know that there's going to be repercussions from COVID. So how do we prioritize and ensure that we're teaching what the students need to progress from grade to grade? Yeah, and it's great because as a classroom teacher, um, being able to vertically plan, like we work with sixth grade, 
And then we plan with eighth grade and even um, our English one teacher at the high school, like we work very closely with her. And so because the ELA standards, a lot of them do appear like on the surface level to be very similar, like as you really start digging into those, those indicators and whatnot, you start learning that there's slight tweaks and changes from, you know, sixth grade on up through English one high school level. And so having that time to vertical that vertical planning time, it allows us to really hone in on, okay, sixth grade, you'll focus on this skill. And then seventh grade, we'll continue to reinforce it so that this way, by the time they reach the eighth grade, like they should be, you know, at that proficiency or extending level. And that sets them up for success when they do get to the high school and, and begin taking the EOCs. So it's really been invaluable to us as classroom teachers. And we don't feel so overwhelmed that we have to do all of these things because everybody is working together and, you know, that foundational knowledge is being laid and we can just continue to build upon it. So that's just been great. Kim, I have a follow-up question for you. So could you talk a little bit more about what that planning process looks like or what that progression creation process looks like? I know coming from a, a, a classroom background myself, I've heard the term unpacking standards. Um, and I'm sure a lot of folks mm-hmm. are familiar with that. Um, Could you talk to me about whether that's involved in this or does your learning progression work take that a step further? Kind of share with me what that process might look like. Okay. So first of all, like we each as a grade level had to figure out what we deemed to be a critical standard. Um, And initially I remember, I think everybody in every grade level, I mean, we had 10 to 12 critical standards because, you know, as a teacher, you feel like everything is is very important. Right. And then that first year of trying to implement and create the pre-assessments and the pathways, like we quickly learned like one, we have way too many and no, these are not all critical because again, so many of our um, standards and indicators, you know, they, they do, they play off of one another and you must have one skill in order to do the next, you know, you must be able to like summarize before you can analyze, for example. Um, and so it was interesting because at the end of like the first beginning of the second year, like every grade level realized like, yeah, we have way too many. And so being able to come together and say, okay, we want to focus on expository text, for example. And so for us to be able to sit down and then unpack our standards, so to speak, and, and again, like sixth grade lays that foundational skill of, well, can they even outline an essay? you know, seventh grade, we introduced a thesis statement and including text evidence. And so it's just been the learning process. I know for me as a teacher, I feel like I have a better understanding of what my indicators are asking me to do with my students. And I feel like this year really is the first year where even though it's a COVID year, like my students are experts in our critical standards. I mean, they really are doing good work. So that's been refreshing. Yeah. And and I think the power of the progression is the fact that it makes learning more transparent for students. I heard you say that they're like they're experts and they can only, you know, be experts if they know, you know, the things that they are um, mastering or and the things that maybe they haven't mastered yet. But there's a path forward towards that. So I think that's really, really cool. It is. And then just the success, like seeing them like see their growth, because even now already, like at this point in the year, they're starting to like things are starting to click. And normally that doesn't happen until like after Christmas, January, February. And so they're starting to see their growth and like making comments about 
themselves as readers and writers. And so that's, that's been great for them as well, like building their confidence and whatnot and helping them kind of see the end goal and why we've been doing what we've been doing all school year so far. Mm, I love that. Now, a follow-up question. I hear you saying that you guys um, meet and you meet um, with multiple grade levels in the same subject area. Could you tell me a little bit more? And maybe this is like a school thing. Maybe this is a district thing. Could you tell me more about how you structure, how the time is structured in order for you all to have time for that? Because I know that's one thing that a lot of teachers ask when it comes to doing the work. It's like, we don't have time to do that. Could you tell me a little bit more around maybe how you've had to be flexible or creative with your time? Yeah, most of our planning time actually happened um, prior to the school year starting where the kids came back. Um, and so our our district and our administration is phenomenal. Like when we asked, because I specifically asked, I want to work with eighth grade and English one. Um, not that I don't want to work with sixth grade, but they're they're more closely aligned with what fifth grade is doing. And so our administration, as well as the high schools, made a point to allow us that time during that week when teachers returned. They gave us that time to get together and meet. And so that was really helpful. And then like throughout the school year, like we'll connect via email if we need to. And then if we needed to meet again, which at this point we don't, not yet, I'm pretty certain that our administration would find coverage and allow us to meet like during our planning or whatnot. So really it's, we just have a great administration and a great support system. When we were building those continuums and the district was very mindful that we built it during the COVID shutdown and they created space at the end of the year to bring those content areas back together. So to have those conversations that Kim alluded to about, well, I think we have too many critical standards and how, do, how does that look? If I'm taking this critical standard away from seventh grade, how is that going to impact sixth or fifth? Or So you could still have those conversations to make sure that we're looking within our schools, but also having that system approach as we grow the learners across the content system-wide. Absolutely. And I, I love um, that you guys answered that because I think it's important for our audience to hear that, you know, leadership matters and support matters when it comes to this work. And that's definitely a key piece of the puzzle as well. Um, so picking back off of something that you just um, alluded to, Maggie, as a coach, what is your approach to scaling and spreading this work? Like, how are you able to like empower your teachers um, to continue moving forward? I really think the most of it comes from sharing what people like Kim and several of other teachers around the school, um, but also in other buildings are doing. That this isn't coming from the top down. This isn't something that we're telling you. You have to do this specific way. Um, look at what the people around you are doing. And it looks different for everybody. They always say the best PD is right next door. And seeing that success and Kim teaches the same students as the person across the hall. So it's it does work with those students. You don't have that. Well, this works with your setting, but it doesn't work with my setting. And there's bits and pieces that you can pull. But oftentimes I feel like um, just continuing to have the conversation. It's not the conversation that everybody wants to have all the time, but continuing to bring it up. Something that I've learned 
and I'm trying to be more mindful of is connecting the dots because we do have other things we use. Um, we use Lucy Calkins. We are an avid school. Uh, just a lot of resources out there and being mindful about personalized learning is our umbrella and these are going to be resources that support us. We're not adopting curriculum. We're using resources to support personalizing our learning for our students. We want to go back to tailoring mm. our learning for the learners that are in our rooms. And these are the tools that we have at our disposal to do that. And so I've been trying to be more intentional about that. But you can still do, Lucy. You can still do AVID. It's just a way you go about it. It's a tool in your tool belt. And I've been trying to find those entry points as I develop relationships with teachers and talk to teachers. I can see the different elements of PCBL that they are kind of already passionate about and kind of work towards that direction. Like, hey, why don't you think about this? We just recently had a teacher share that they tried an element and they saw success. So that is one of the best ways to scale and spread when the teacher sees success in their room. That just encourages them. Okay, well, I saw this and this worked, maybe. So it opens their minds to it. But just continuing to be around and that this isn't the next thing. This is what's best for our learners. And that's why we're here. Absolutely. There were so many um, gems that you just dropped just now. Um, to highlight a few, I really like that you spoke about um, you guys having different, I guess you would call them initiatives, um, which, you know, sometimes personalizing student learning can be seen as another thing. And I like you guys' approach to this work being that um, personalizing student learning is the umbrella and everything else is a resource that supports that. And then I also like that you said um, a huge part of um, continuing to scale and spread the work is amplifying teacher voice and teachers being able to share successes. Because when we think about how that translates for students and back to kind of what you shared earlier about your students, Kim, when students see success in little teeny tiny areas and they see their growth, that is what spurs them on to continue to be motivated. That's what spurs them on to continue to, to ask more questions, to press forward. And I think that's super awesome that you guys have that going on um, in your context. What is the next step for you, Kim, with the work that you're doing now? I know that you're working with progressions have you guys been able to make any connections between progressions and learning pathways? What is that looking like for you guys? Oh, yeah. So progressions for um, actually ELA and math have been done, I want to say, Maggie, correct me if I'm wrong, for the past two years now. Um, and so ELA and math, we're already working on pre-assessments and pathways. And so that's where I'm at now. And it's interesting that you asked this question because having now had like a, a, a year to implement, I'm starting to learn that most of my kids actually start on the same pathway. And that's at that emerging level. I find that that personalization comes through the time that I'm conferencing with them. We take a lot of time, especially at the beginning of the school year, I do to conference with my students and reading and writing, getting them to learn how to use a rubric, explaining to them what those scores mean from MAP and SC Ready, 
And it's very time consuming and it does, it takes a lot of time, but it's well worth it because now at this point in the year, the students understand why they're taking this test, why they're in the particular Panther period that they're in. And Panther period is um, our time that we serve students that are the GT students, um, our ITI students. Um, it's when we handle our MTSS, so to speak. And so I'm learning that these pathways that I've actually created over the summer and the beginning of the school year, and this is what I was alluding to earlier whenever we first started talking, was that I'm starting to understand that most of my students start on that same pathway, but they're all going to arrive at the end, depending on their, their ability to master the concept, how hard they're willing to work. Um, and I can really tailor it through those conferences. Uh, for example, we had a major writing assignment a few weeks back and grading it with them. We sit together and we grade it and the students will self-assess themselves. And I might notice, okay, you're struggling with uh, writing compound complex sentences and I can pull them for a mini lesson. Whereas another student, maybe they're struggling with just a basic how to write an introduction, include a thesis. And so for me, that's evolving in terms of this doesn't necessarily fit into a nice, neat pathway package, but I'm still personalizing le my learning with my students. So Maggie, I'll be coming to you about that here pretty soon. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh my goodness. That is so cool. I hope you realize that you're a rock star. I hope you know that. Oh, thank I you. hope you do because that's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. I appreciate that because uh, I feel like when teachers hear personalized learning, they really do. They think, oh my gosh, this is just one more thing I have to do. But the thing we have to remember is it's those moments where you're, you're with a student and you're either conferring or you're working in a small group or individual and you see that skill, that deficit, and you're like, hey, I want you to work on this. I mean, that's personalized learning. You know, it's just recognizing where our students need that extra support. And to that point, I really appreciate that you named that even though you created like maybe a pathway that had multiple paths, it just so happened that all your students are on the same path. But even though all the students may be at that level, number one, how they pace through to move on, it may be different. And then you creating those opportunities and those moments for self-assessing and reflection and conferring, like that's golden because, you know, in a traditional context, if I'm just assuming all my students are on the same level and I'm giving them the same activity and there's no feedback and there's no opportunity to reflect, well, then we end up with the same result as we've been seeing in education, which is, you know, students who haven't really had the opportunity to be cultivated to be self-directed learners, which is super important. So I really appreciate you for sharing, um, for sharing that. Thank you. So, um, Maggie, what about you? What are your next steps as you're supporting this work? And I'll couple that with, do you have any tips or advice for any other coaches who might be leading this work in their schools and districts? I guess I'll start with my next steps. Um, I've been trying to be responsive to the feedback. We tried something just like with personalized learning in the classroom. We tried something as far as PD with teachers and trying to be receptive to the feedback and honor their feedback. We want them to receive and give feedback to the students and trying to find space to do that with them and really find what's going to be the best use of time and moving PCBL in their classroom. So where Kim is is not necessarily where the person at the end of her hall is or um, directly in the other grade levels just trying to meet 
the teachers where they are. But a huge focus of mine is trying to build the capacity of the teacher leaders. Give them, Kim does not give herself enough credit for all that she does and all that she knows and how much she is a leader in the building and then with PCBL also um, just all around and trying to bring those voices and empower those voices to continue to be that grassroots, like you're learning from your peers, your peers are driving this work. Um, so it doesn't seem like the top down. So I've tried to find space with, um, again, an idea that I came to Kim and a couple of our other teachers with and asked them to kind of be coaching teachers where they picked um, and we had some conversations and we got the people that they thought might be some good people to work with, got their approval and made sure they were on board with this. But so that we're not just growing within our own classroom, we're looking to grow those around us so that we can have vertical growth as well as the exponential growth. Kim is continuing to learn and grow and alter her practices. And from all that experience, she has a wealth of knowledge to share with the others around her um, as they begin in their practice. So trying to build the teacher leaders to share and open up doors, make the walls more porous. COVID kind of confined us into our rooms and trying to figure out ways to open those doors back up and investing in people and just having some time on conversations so that we can level lots of people up to Ms. Lawson's level. I am so excited to hear more about that. I think that's so awesome. Um, what are you thinking about in terms of, I heard you saying um, your idea around like coaching teachers and prodigies maybe. What might that kind of look like? Can you give us a little a little taste about how that might look? Well, this is a very early in the process. Um, and we're trying, or my intention was to try and keep it very low stakes, low stress, for everybody involved, because we are still dealing with COVID and external forces that it's just a lot weighing on people, but continue to grow. We don't want to be stagnant because in the end, we have learners sitting in our room that we need to grow. And so we have to meet those needs. So just trying to make it as low stakes as possible. I reached out to a couple of teacher leaders, got their approval to be involved and we had some conversations about who they thought would be receptive who they thought would be is at a point where they can step into this work and grow and then reached out and confirmed that those um, mentees proteges would be willing to do the work and engage in this process and then I sent a survey to both the teacher leaders and the mentees if you want to call them that and so I've got a little bit of feedback from both sides, and I shared the feedback from the protege teachers that are going to become the phenomenal teachers. So they're just going to fill the halls with lots of mini Kim Lawsons and share that with the coaching teachers so that they would have an idea of what their mentee protege was interested in learning, what areas they felt that they kind of had a grasp on or what they wanted to extend on so they would have a little bit of a foundation to build off of but really just using that as a mentor relationship and 
letting that kind of be authentic and give them the flexibility to be the teacher leaders that they are and tailor the support to the people they're working with. Yes, well, definitely keep us posted on how that um, turns out. That sounds like an awesome idea. All right, well, we are going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hey, this is Heather Brass, one of the coaches from the Office of Personalized Learning. As all of our previous face-to-face cohorts have now shifted to self-paced Canvas courses, offering our teams and individuals more flexibility and personalized professional learning experiences, we invite you to enroll in the course that fits your readiness. The OPL has also reorganized the way we connect as coaches. Within this new model, each region in South Carolina has an Office of Personalized Learning coach living in or near who is able to support you from the exploration of personalized competency-based learning to strategic planning and implementation of a personalized competency-based learning system. For example, you or a team may complete a module in launch and you'd like to schedule a planning session or a check-in Click on your regional map and schedule a time with your coach. Or maybe you and a team are goal setting for the fall. And as a school or a district, you're working to implement the profile of the South Carolina graduate competencies. Just click on the map and schedule a time with your regional coach for support. Wherever you or your team are, Whether you're exploring as a member of the Personalized SC community, you're enrolling in the Framework Foundation series to explore even further. Or maybe you've enrolled in Launch and you're implementing more learner-centered practices. Or you're registering for our new community of practice sessions, building on the competencies. Wherever you are, your regional coach is here to support you and help build capacity every step of the way. We look forward to seeing you soon. All right, everyone, we are back with uh, Maggie and Kim, and we're back just in time for our special segment that I like to call making it or breaking it. So ladies, I'm going to ask for you all to share with me either a make or a break. A make could be something cool that you've seen or that you've made happen in the realm of personalizing student learning, or a break could be a barrier, a concern, or something that we in education need to let go of in order to give personalizing student learning a chance for the students that we serve. So which will it be, make or break? Kim, you want to start us off? Sure. Okay. So we're currently in our historical fiction reading unit. And initially I had my students group by their reading map scores and my students have become so involved and into the book. And this has been exciting for me because Carrie, I've heard my students, like I've just overheard them saying like, this is the first novel I've ever read. Or some students saying, I haven't read a novel in like three or four years. And so for them to like be involved and into the novel, they no longer want to read in their groups. They want to read as a whole class. I have kids asking me, can they lead the book club for the day? And they're posing questions. I mean, it's 
it's exciting, like Ooh. as a teacher and especially a teacher of reading for my kids to become involved in the novel and essentially have taken the lead. Um, is it personalized learning? No, because it doesn't fit that reading pathway, but it's evolved and morphed into something where they're loving just reading and we're discussing and making connections and it's, it's fun. It's fun. I'm loving it. They're like, I don't want the book to end because we finished the book tomorrow and there are several of them in several classes. I don't want the book to end. I'm really sad that we're almost finished. Um, I've never had that happen ever. Wow. And you know what, Kim, I, I love that. And I would even challenge what you said there. I think that is personalizing student learning. I think the fact that you've somehow hooked your students, which I'm, I'm curious to know, like, what what do you think is attributing to like their interests? So I, I, I'll pause that question there. But um, the fact that students are engaging, the fact that students are having conversations, the fact that there's flexibility and how they engage with the book and engage with each other, that's personalized learning right there. It doesn't have to be a product. It could just be the process. And the fact that you're putting students first, that's it right there. So kudos to you. Thank and you. I am curious about what you think it might be that they're super engaged in the way that they are. Um, I think first and foremost, it's probably the book. So we're reading Between Shades of Grey by Ruta Septis. If you've never read this book, it is phenomenal. She is one of my most favorite authors of all time. Um, the book is actually set during World War II. And um, most of the historical fictions that are written during that time period focus on like Hitler and the war that he fought in Europe. But this one focuses on Stalin and his basically mass exiling of all the, the Baltic states and whatnot. And the character Lena and just the things that she goes through, like my students are relating to it. I did take some time prior to starting the book club. Um, to have them do some nonfiction reading um, just so that they had some background knowledge about World War II and whatnot. And so we took some time to read some articles and discuss. Um, and as we've went along the way, um, I've posed questions. I've taught them different techniques. Um, and even like as we've neared the end of the book, I had them make predictions like how do you think the book is going to end? And just I think the book itself, because it is just a phenomenal book, and, um, and when we initially started the book too, I did a lot of modeling, um, in terms of like how to read, how to read with like inflection and feeling. And I hooked them that way as well. And yeah, I have to say it's the book and maybe just my love for this book. I, I don't know. I really can't put my finger on why, but it's, it's happening and it's great. I love it. That is so cool. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kim. All right, Maggie, make or break. Um, mine's going to be a make. Okay. And mine is kind of centered around our work that we've been doing, math and ELA, building those progressions and diving into those standards and implementing. But we've also been trying to work with our social studies and our science departments with their new standards and how they're skill-based and all these rich conversations are emerging. And they're kind of leading us into what do our assessments look like? So we're starting to have a better understanding of our standards, what we're asking the students to do, and it's leading into just some rich conversations about assessments and are our assessments lining up with what we're expecting them to know out of the standards. And so that's very exciting to hear just how 
one piece of this is leading to the next piece and it's kind of seeing a natural progression in the work and it's relative to what they're doing in their classroom. So it's not another thing, it's just kind of that natural progression that's happening and the collaborative minds, I mean, I just sit back and listen and the conversations. We're not there yet, but it's, it's cultivating, cultivating that space. Absolutely. And I know we always tell, you know, folks who we encounter all the time that this is a journey as educators in general. There's always something new to learn. There's always something new to try. And I love that you I love everything that you guys have shared in this episode. And most importantly, I think the biggest takeaway is that, you know, this can be hard work, but it's the right work. And so we have to make sure that we are knowledgeable of that and that we're seeing that through. And so I really appreciate you guys for being here once again. This was awesome. Before we leave, though, there might be a listener who's listening who wants to get in touch with you to learn a little bit more about your journey or maybe chat with you, pick your brain. What's the best way to reach you? Um, so probably the easiest way to reach me is via email. It's klawson, K-L-A-W-S-O-N at lex3.org. Um, I'd be very happy to converse via email. Um, we can do a Google Meets or a Zoom, meet in person over coffee. I'm open to whatever. Um, and I didn't mention this earlier, but I earlier in the year actually watched a video by the that you guys had interviewed uh, some teachers at White Knoll High School. And I actually work out with one of the girls. We go to the same gym. And so I approached her at the gym and I was like, I'm not trying to be a creeper, but I saw you <laughs> and I meet with you. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah. So um, email is probably the easiest way at this point, but yeah, we could start there and then make plans from, from that point. Yeah. Awesome. Email is a great way for me as well. Um, my email is mellis, E-L-L-I-S, at lex3.org. And I'm also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is my maiden name, so it's kind of hard to find sometimes, but it's at Maggie Bird. And it's Maggie with two E's. All right. Well, thank you, ladies, so much. We'll be right back to close things out. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!